championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello and welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Mr. Jacob Dedimore and Mr. Jason Chilton. Guys, we are coming off of a nice old 70-burger against Texas Tech. We'll break down what exactly the Texas offense did to Texas Tech and in all the graphic detail there. And then, you know, it's, it's not all sunshine and daisies. As uh, Texas did give up 35 points in some embarrassingly long touchdowns to Texas Tech's backup quarterback. So we'll go ahead and talk about that as well. However, before we get going, I do want to shout this out. I did crack and I started a Discord server for the Hornscast channel and Wait, a you, Patreon. You, you did crack? Yeah, I did. Yeah. that And that's what caused me to start this Discord channel or server and the Patreon. That so, had to made the game watching process a lot more fun. I oh say. my god, it was it was and I streamed it live on Discord for the patrons. Me on crack watching film. It was it was something to <laughs> behold. But basically what Patreon is is it's a way for me to recoup the money that I am losing monthly for hosting the show on different services and thank editing you for your it, sacrifice will we really do and editing it deep 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 into the night on top of the equipment that i get for some of the co-hosts and on top of that you guys get a free t-shirt you guys get your name in the podcast you guys get access to a cool private discord channel if you join at different tiers and what is discord jacob didn't know what discord was uh, I, I think I'd heard of it, but I just hadn't been a part of it. Yeah. There, there are people out there I found ha- who don't know what Discord is, and uh, I didn't know it for a while. But I kind of describe it as, "What if Slack was fun? Like, what if you didn't dread <laughs> opening Slack?" <laughs> that is what I describe Discord. Discord is a way to basically get into contact with us. I, I do, as I just said. I'm going to be starting doing weekly gameplay uh, watches, rewatching the film, kind of breaking it down and, and watching the next team that Texas will be playing. And you guys get access to us to ask us questions, to talk to us directly about the shows or just questions that you might have during the week. And it's all completely free. So you don't have to pay to join the Discord server to talk to us and to complain to us and talk to other Texas fans as well. Should be a fun way to connect with other Texas fans. So, and you can curse at us if you want to. I mean, hey, yeah, why not? Maybe, you know? perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> if you pay us enough on Patreon. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that's a tier on Patreon. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the private is, thing. Is the abuse? Yeah. Is there a tier where you send them crack? <laughs> there could be. There could be. All uh, things are open to, to negotiation. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you have a Discord and you, this sounds cool, please join us. If you don't, and this sounds cool, this sounds interesting to you, go ahead, try it out, see what you think about it, join our Discord, it's really cool, I'll give you a personal hello, and yeah, we would appreciate that. But, now that the spring cleaning is done, let's talk about this Texas Tech game, and, and y'all, Texas punished Tech in ways that the Old Testament would blush at. 
it was just a beatdown. Yeah, and I gotta say, uh, this has nothing to do with the football team or Steve Sarkeesian, but after all the crap that went down in the late spring, early summer with Chris Beard and the basketball program and everything else and all the mess that came out of uh, the mouths and Twitter accounts of Texas Tech fans, that gave what happened on Saturday that little bit of extra, extra little pinch to your buttocks, you know? It really made it feel that just a little bit better. <laughs> Hmm. That is a direction I wish you had not gone. I, I was actually, <laughs> I, that, I was well, actually. Again, we're, we're trying to sell that. We're trying to sell the uh, the private Discord here, so I'm you know trying to. I don't know if it's doing know, that, but get a little, give a little additions. Your, your sales <laughs> technique could use some refinement, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I was my my big hope. Uh, well, a lot of my big hopes came true in this game, but one of them I wasn't at the game, so I'm not 100 percent sure. But I was hoping that we would go out there. Do the script Texas, and then have uh, have Chris Beard come out and dot the eye himself. <laughs> yeah, and Honestly, then I realized there's not an eye in Texas, so there was a small flaw in slight, that plan. Yeah, yeah, slight yeah. problem with that. Of Cross the T himself. I want to see. Yeah, his plan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we came into this game thinking it was going to be a close game. I don't think there was a Texas fan out there who wasn't fretting this game. Uh, at least a little bit. A little bit of a okay, what are we going to see against Texas Tech? Because Texas Tech had good linebackers, they had good wide receivers, they had an explosive running back, and they always have a decent quarterback. I don't think anybody expected 70, 42 points in the first half at all. That was just, I mean, honestly comical. The only thing that would have been better is having Chris Beard thrown in their faces more, which honestly... Again, I'm pretty upset they didn't do. Yeah, I mean, he was about the only guy that wasn't getting carries by the end of the game, so I think they could have worked him in, but uh, that probably would have invited some cheap shots. So, again, best they probably didn't do that. But, yeah, just everything worked out of the gate for the for the Texas offense. It seemed like we couldn't gain less than, than five yards on a run. Guys were screaming open. Thompson was in command. The O-line was looking vastly different <laughs> than it did against Arkansas. And we'll, we'll talk about more about it in the, that in detail. But but yeah, it, it was just... I was telling this to people I was chatting with during the game. I had forgotten that it's supposed to be fun <laughs> to watch this team. <laughs> I had forgotten that sometimes when you play a lesser team in the conference, you're allowed to just romp them. And it was a great feeling. <laughs> we're, we're, we should all be hesitant about proclaiming uh, any... B-A-C-K type of talk just yet, but it was nice to get back to that feeling for one afternoon at least. Yeah, have you had more fun watching a game? Like, when was the last time you had this much fun watching a Texas game? I cannot remember it. Well, we'll start start to finish fun. Yeah, like start to finish fun and while wow, we're, we're going to romp them and let's just sit back and watch the fireworks. It has been a long time. I mean, they're, you know, like beating somehow beating OU under Charlie Strong, you know, winning the Notre Dame game. There've been like great isolated moments over the past decade, but it's been a while since there was one like this. Yeah. I would say, you know, like the first three quarters of the OU game back in uh, 2018, you know, yeah. but then the fourth quarter happened and we almost had heart attacks. Um, but you know, and a lot of, you know, start to finish, maybe the sugar bowl, uh, in that same season against Georgia, Mm -hmm. 
because Texas really kind of controlled that game from start to finish as well. Uh, but it wasn't to this level. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just really a lot of fun to actually watch and experience that game. But man, oh man, I just, you know, Texas, Texas had, uh, one piece of fortune happen before kickoff ever came around. And we found out that morning that Taj Brooks was not going to play, uh, for Texas tech. And I think that was a huge blow to their offense because he was their leading rusher. He was, he's a home run hitter type of running back. And while Sir Roderick Thompson was in the lineup, he's still not a hundred percent from the shoulder injury he suffered. And he was not ready. I don't believe to carry the load offensively, like they probably wanted to do with their running game and have it be a larger part of their offense. So that, I mean, that was a, a big thing initially, but as you know, Jason said, we talked about in the podcast last week, at least one of the things I thought about going into the game was that if Texas won the line of scrimmage, they would win the game. And they didn't just win the line of scrimmage. They dominated it from pretty much mm-hmm. start to finish. And it reflected on the scoreboard. Yeah, and that, that had a lot to do with the game plan going in, succeeding almost immediately. They really went in trying to play the outside zone to neutralize the Texas Tech blitzes. So Texas Tech brought some some interesting blitzes to start to try to prod at Texas's offensive line uh, because the Texas Tech defensive coordinator prides himself on that havoc. What they tried to do failed so immensely against the outside zone that he basically went into a three-man rush or a four-man rush with a little maybe a stunt here or two across here or two but not much in the way of crazy blitzes and that just allowed Texas's offensive line to you know not really have any big miscommunications across that front especially when you're dealing with three-man rushes and it looks like they've been drilled into them they've had that drilled into them how to deal with three-man rushes after Arkansas they didn't mess those ones up this game but you, you saw that immediately. They used, and, and on top of that, there was a lot of great play calling to really neutralize those linebackers. One of my favorite plays that I pointed out in on Twitter was the use of Bijan Robinson, not only as the outside zone running back, but as a decoy. They used him as a decoy on the Jordan Whittington run. They had run that sort of same play over and over and over again, where they have a motion guy go across the back to see, okay, can we bring somebody else the left side over to the right and then bring a speedster like Jordan Whittington or Xavier Worthy playing H-back in the H-back role basically across the front. So they had run that multiple times. So the defense had seen that over and over and over again. And they had run a few variants off of it, but most of the time it was B. John Robinson to the right or B. John Robinson to the left. So everybody knew, oh, B. John Robinson's getting the ball. But all of a sudden, Casey Thompson gets it, immediately flips it forward. The entire defense is, is just keyed in on B. John Robinson until they see, oh, wait, Jordan Winnington has the ball. It's stuff like that. Variance, creative play calling, complimentary play calling. There's things you can run off of that. Somebody on Twitter pointed out, like, hey, you know, what about a tight end slipping past the second uh, level to be in the end zone that you could definitely see something like that happening. There's a lot of different ways you can go off of that. And a lot of different things just like that play. Like that was just one concept. 
There's a lot of variants that they ran off of similar play designs that will now give defensive coordinators headaches. There's just too much on film for these defensive coordinators. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for anything more coming out of, you know, the first three games of the season. We certainly weren't the only ones in Longhorn pounding on the table and saying, man, just make outside zone your identity and call it a foundation, call it a lever, whatever you want. Just build everything off that. And yeah, just like you said, they have already shown you a bunch of wrinkles, you know, with variety of runs and ability to throw off it, whether it's hitting things because the linebackers have been sucked up, sneaking a tight end out when they do that kind of backside arc block. And I think there's a lot more that that can be added to it. And we'll probably see that because you're going to see some probably, I don't know, <laughs> I'm, I'm very confident Gary Patterson, as always, will treat this like his Super Bowl and probably bring overhang defenders down to do a bunch of stuff that we haven't seen. I got nasty flashbacks after the Arkansas game saying, oh, they lined up differently than we thought. I'm like, oh, no, Mac is back. (laughs) (laughs) But that'll be the fun chess match to watch. But I think we have so many potential answers, both through scheme and through the personnel that can execute on it. I feel really good about what this offense can do with outside zone as its base identity, especially when you couple it with a back as special as Bijan is. Yeah, I think what I was surprised by on Saturday was how quickly Texas Tech abandoned what I thought was their only real chance defensively to slow down the Texas offense, and that was to use that three that 3-3 three, three front to do different types of zone blitz schemes, especially in the A-gaps, and try and mess with uh, the the interior of our line, which has been the most problematic, it really seemed like you know, and, and it was especially after you know the game is fourteen to seven, should have been twenty one nothing, but you know Keelan Robinson lined up a little bit offsides, they went down and scored. You know it's fourteen to seven at that point, but it seemed like after those first couple of drives, Texas Tech just abandoned their attacking scheme and went into this read and react mode. And I'm sorry, I know they're experienced and they brought in some transfers on defense and they have a lot of guys with a lot of experience, but they're not athletic enough to read and react against guys like Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, Keelan Robinson, and they were getting zero pass pressure at all. I mean, none. That you know, that was as Jason said and you said as well, Will, you know, we we ran outside zone to death on them and just kept doing it and play actioning off of it and everything else. But the pass protection, even in just straight up pass plays was just phenomenal on Saturday. Denzel Okafor and Christian Jones probably play, played their best games as Longhorn offensive linemen. And that's saying something when it comes to Denzel Okafor, just because how long he's been here. Well, it's not but, a high bar to clear. For right. Him. <laughs> but I'm just saying because he's been here so long, what I was just surprised by was that tech abandoned what they probably wanted to do coming in so quickly, because really after the first couple of drives, you did not see them trying any kind of tricky blitzes and trying to bring those linebackers through different gaps and maybe dropping an end back in a, you know, kind of a zone blitz thing. As Jason said, Gary Patterson, that's not going to be the case on Saturday with him. Their defense is struggling right now. And so they are going to change some things up just because they have to, because of how poorly they've been playing. Once, Tech abandoned their initial defensive scheme. It was like taking candy from a baby. It was, and it was just easy the rest of the day. Let's change here to Casey Thompson and take a look at how he did against this Tech defense. Yes, 
the Tech defense did not get much of a pass rush on him. Their pass rush is a lot worse than ours when that's saying something because our pass rush is not great. Casey Thompson definitely helped out our offensive line by stepping into pockets and not freaking out when pass protection broke down. Casey Thompson did phenomenally in this game. There's a few things, though, that I want to nitpick in this game. And by the way, I mean, it's hard to nitpick in this game. But there's the one overthrown ball that, against a good defense, it would not sail directly into Jordan Whittington's hands. <laughs> that's that's probably getting picked off. Then there's also the deep shots. And that has been a consistent issue with Texas this year. And that's kind of one issue for Texas that's really stopped them from being as explosive as they can be. Honestly, Texas could have scored 84 points. They could have really taken it to Texas Tech a lot quicker than they did. And they took it to Texas Tech pretty damn quick. But they've just not had luck with the deep ball. What do you guys think is the issue there? Is it a Casey Thompson issue? Is it a wide receiver issue? It is a concept issue. What is... What is going on here? Because, I mean, it was happening with Hudson Card, too. Well, I think with earlier in the season with Hudson Card, I mean, you can go back and look at the Arkansas game as an example. You know, they had deep shots where guys just, you know, he missed guys, but he also had receivers drop balls. And so it was a combination of the two. What I saw on Saturday from Casey, and it was something I remarked about during the game, was he is he's putting too much air under his deep throws putting too much angle on it and therefore letting it float for too long and I when I went back and watched some of it today and saw a couple of them it seemed like it was basically it's basically just a small mechanical thing to me one he wasn't a couple of those throws like the one where he had worthy on the corner route and the DB was able to come up underneath it and get a hand on it that was one that floated and that was one where he just didn't step into the throw and even though he he could have, he just didn't. He just kind of he kind of he didn't throw it off his back foot, but he was just kind of stationary and just armed it, and it didn't have enough on it. But it's just generally he's putting too much air into those deep balls, and you know it's allowing defenders to recover where he needs to cut down on the angle and put more power behind the throw and get it out in front of his receivers because his receivers are beating guys. Yeah, I mean I I would agree with that. Uh, yeah, as you said, it's not an arm strength thing. It's not like we've got a guy that literally can't push the ball down the field enough to threaten the deep game. And yeah, I think it's, I'm sure it's something that uh, Sarkeesian's working on with him this week. It would be an unfortunate governor on the overall offense if we're not able to iron that out one way or the other because we've got some really emergent speed on this team, and I'm sure we'll talk some more about uh, young Mr. Worthy. But I, you know, right now I'm, I'm reasonably hopeful that, you know, with some mechanical changes, that can get ironed out. And, uh, yeah, that, that can become the missing component of the game. What was it you were saying uh, during the game on Saturday, Jason, it reminded you of? Oh, yes, it was like watching, and this, I don't think, no, sort of an arm strength issue with him, but like watching Jeff Blake back for like the, uh, <laughs> the 90s Cincinnati Bengals throwing to Carl Pickens and Darnay Scott, and there would be balls that literally looked like they had a 45-degree launch angle. The ball would travel about <laughs> as high as it did far, but they would just run under it and catch it anyway. Yeah, looked like mortar shots coming out from behind the pocket. It was really kind of funny to watch. I mean, like the yeah. ball sometimes would like disappear out of the camera shot and drop back in. <laughs> and there's the receiver to catch it. It was really kind of funny. But yeah, he just he just needs to get behind the ball more and just cut down, you know, 
a little more online, a little less air because it's he can get it there. That's not really an issue. Yeah, when we were talking earlier about the difference between Casey Thompson and Hudson Card, right? We were talking the difference between a playmaker and a guy who has that pure arm talent. And I've explained it over and over and over again. Was the arm talent, the ability to get it to the to the air to the correct spot, the correct angle, the correct touch at and get it there fast. But that's all in a in a vacuum. And that's what Hudson Card potentially gives you when he's playing at his best. And Casey Thompson is maybe a step under that. But what Casey Thompson is, is I kind of explained it to you and I've been doing a lot of food, food based analogies. Maybe I'm just hungry all the time, but you know, when you're cooking, it could could be the crack, but when you're cooking and crack when, yeah, crack (laughs) and you're trying to build like the perfect recipe. A lot for of the crack. times, for for crack, yes. A lot of the times, there's one one ingredient that is just missing that doesn't really stand out. Like you couldn't tell what it is. Everybody's like, "Oh, it's more salt," or "It needs more pepper." Or, Fentanyl, and and, it's, and you just don't know what it is. What are you putting and, in your crack? <laughs> salt and pepper. If you're, if you're putting salt and pepper in your crack, you're gonna have a very disappointed young Chris Rock from New Jack City coming up and banging on your door saying, "What did you sell me?" <laughs> but now, but now, continue with the excellent analogy that you were building that we've so thoroughly derailed. No worries, no worries. I got it. I got it. I'm gonna put this back on track here. He's the missing ingredient, basically the the ingredient that you you just didn't you can't think of. You don't know what it is. But it makes that that soup, that that food, just that so much better. And you just don't think of it. And everybody's like, oh, you know, you want to use the most expensive ingredient because that's what's going to make it better. Or the one that everybody can think of that always makes it. Like, just put more salt in it or put more pepper in it. And, you know, that's sort of the, the Hudson card right now. Whereas Casey Thompson or a Colt McCoy versus a Jevin Sneed was a different ingredient to that soup, to that overall team that just made, made the recipe work. He is that missing ingredient. That missing ingredient is not so much him. It's what he brings. And that's decision-making. And so, so it is him. (laughs) Well, but what I'm saying is, is that it, what he was doing that Hudson card wasn't was he was making the correct decision. He really only made Casey on Saturday made one poor decision in the entire ball game and it resulted in a pick and it was one of those plays where he was just trying to do too much but that is something that has been very rare for him so far he is very good at taking exactly what the defense is willing to give him and when the the bigger shot is there going after it even though they haven't been connecting as much but he's still making the correct call almost every time and that's why the offense is moving down the field with him in charge of it. I mean, Jordan Whittington, you know, one of the things I loved, one of the specific plays I loved on Saturday from Casey was, you know, Jordan Whitting, Jordan Whittington against Arkansas had those two big drops in the game when it was still, you know, a chance for Texas to be in it. Well, he dropped the first pass Casey threw to him on Saturday against Tech. But the very next passing play, Casey came right back to him. And he made the catch for a first down, and he went on to have a fantastic game did Whittington and it it all it was almost like Casey getting that ball to him the next time he threw it kind of snapped Jordan back on track 
And now we're seeing, we saw him be a huge weapon again on Saturday when he had been kind of missing in action since the opener. And it was great to see, but that's Casey Thompson making the decision. I need to go right back to my guy here because we need him in this offense. Yeah. And I I like the way, you know, his throws are almost always on time and in a pretty good rhythm. You know, he did float the, you know, a couple of the ones that he floated were off play action that were um, they were just beautifully set up, and you hated to see that. But, you know, I, I love also he's decisive about, you know, when and where and how to take off. And he really dissected it, you know, either both with his arms and his legs, when they would drop eight. I mean, I, f- I feel like that was almost – you couldn't really see downfield to see everything we were doing. I had the feeling that Sarkeesian spent a lot of time on some, you know, drop eight beating concepts – because you found guys really working open, but you know he never looked befuddled against it. I, you know, I think Tech might have thrown that in and just said, "You, you four guys line up here. You four guys line up here and react to the ball," which is not a good way to do that. <laughs> but you know he he was pretty clinical against that, and so we may see better versions of that. They'll still probably have to try to throw some of that at us, and with better defensive linemen, it could be a little bit more of a problem, but. There's going to be space to run against that a lot of times, and if we can continue find you know guys open in the holes that will still exist in that zone, that's you know one defensive weapon that could be you know pretty decisively taken away. That in the middle of the Arkansas game looked like it was <laughs> it was going to be the death of the season. <laughs> so let's quickly get into Xavier Worthy and this off the line. Uh, I really we, there's not much to talk about for Xavier Worthy. I mean, it's just great to have a good wide receiver. It, is that second wide receiver, that third wide receiver that you were looking for at the beginning of the season? You're like, where is this other guy going to come from? Because you need one or two wide receivers at least to have a good team so that one, you know, a defense can't just key on one guy. That's Xavier Worthy now. He's the guy who can take the top off the defense. He's a guy who not only that is is hard to take down for his size. Like you just saw him. It is Texas Tech, and they did miss 36 tackles on the game according to the Pro Football Focus, which is in- insane, absolutely insane. But he's a guy who you've seen will will lay a shoulder into somebody. It's nice to have that third wide receiver, but offensive line here is, is the issue, I think, that everybody is, is wondering, is this for real? Texas is definitely, the Texas social media is playing it up like, oh yeah, it's fixed. But is it? Well, it was fixed for Saturday. And right now, that's all we can judge on. It, well, and it's been fixed for the last two weeks for the most part. It was not quite – it was better against Rice. It was even better against Texas Tech. There was a week-to-week improvement since the Arkansas game. But I think part of that is Sarkeesian, and this is what I'm hoping it is. Again, you know, we're so beaten down as Texas fans because of the last seven years of just god-awful coaching and no willingness to adjust uh, the scheme and the game plan to scheme towards the strengths of your players as opposed to trying to get your players to just do what you think is best offensively. You know, and that's what we, uh, especially under Herman, that's what we saw for so long. We're beaten down by it, but I think what you have in Sarkeesian is a guy who is willing to adjust his offensive scheme and his game plan to accentuate the strengths of what he has out on the field. And that's why you're seeing and saw on Saturday so much outside zone because that is what his offensive line does best. 
So as long as Sarkeesian continues to play to their strengths, you can keep working on the other stuff and eventually maybe work it back into the game plan more, but you want that to be the foundation. And so, you know, if they keep doing it, then yeah, I mean, it. it, it not saying they're going to play perfect ball, but right now he's letting them do what they're best at and they're feeding off of it. Yeah, <laughs> we've been bitten by, you know, some of these guys so many times we'll be shy for a little while, but, you know, we've got a scheme right now that, makes it, you know, as easy as possible for them to execute. And not every guy has to win their battle decisively to have a a right. positive play or even necessarily a big play. It'll be interesting to see, because I think you'll probably start to see some more corner blitzes, you know, bringing down overhang guys, things like that, mm-hmm. you know, either to cut off the front side or try and prevent that, you know, backside jailbreak. And so, you know, that may be when you really do need to see, are all of these guys able to execute? You know, is, is every potential hole for some kind of a cutback going to be, or, or going to the front side, going to be available? Or can you start taking it away by, you know, taking an edge or something away from blitz and simple alignment, and then one or two guys keep losing, and suddenly you've got a traffic jam. So there'll, there'll be more tests against, you know, <laughs> more tailored schemes to stop getting outside, and against better defensive lines, but you know I'm I'm optimistic at this point that we'll at least continue to be putting these guys into you know as good a position as we can to win. And we again got to see some glimpses of some other guys who, if you know, particularly on the left side, the execution's not there from the starters. We got to see some more glimpses of uh, of Connor and the angriest man in college football, Carrick. <laughs> left tackle so uh yeah there there could be there could be some solves there if if things just break or we run into an injury so this offensive line as you were talking about jacob they're running more concepts that work for teams who their size isn't their biggest thing isn't their best thing and they try to de-emphasize the size factor by running these type of concepts for the time being great do that over to the defensive side of the ball, though, that's that's something that's interesting is the Pequikowski defense using the defensive line as space eaters. And so we've been asking, you know, where's Alfred Collins? Where's Keandre Coburn? Where, you know, where's all these guys who were so highly touted? Because, I mean, think about what they did last year. Well, last year they were in a defense that emphasized the defensive line. When you have four down linemen, they don't have to do as much. They can just be athletic, and that's why Alfred Collins is doing so well. Now that Alfred Collins has to actually think, and most of the emphasis isn't so much on him being just athletic. It's more on cerebral. He has to think. And when they went to the I formation, and he was just able to be athletic, <laughs> right? That's when he did his best. But otherwise... You know, he'd get washed out or he'd he'd have to, you know, he'd play high, trying to keep his eyes in the backfield. Same thing for Baron Sorrell. Like when he's able to just be athletic and boy, man, that guy's got a motor. That guy's got a huge motor. He does well. So I remembered why I liked the four down front rather than the three down front. But that's what we got now, right? So what what were y'all's thoughts on the defense this game? Well, I've never seen a power eye on defense, so that was a first. <laughs> um, and they ran it twice. It worked once. It didn't work once. But, you know, both times it was just kind of a pick and choose. Quite, 
Pete Kwiatkowski will get creative on you when he has an opportunity where he thinks that he can run something screwy and get away with it. And the couple of times he ran that on Saturday were times like that. Um, But I think what I was most impressed by on Saturday, and we'll get into the bad because there was some bad, um, Texas had to stop the run against against this particular Texas Tech team because the running game had been a – Really, there had really been the main reason why their offense had been so successful in the first three weeks. And even though Taj Brooks wasn't there, Texas came out and effectively shut outside of a couple of carries here and there, effectively shut down Texas Tech's running game and made them exclusively go to the pass. And they also did a good job of shutting down as a conma, uh, who was by far their best receiver. Now, things got loose once the game was out of hand. And we're going to talk about that. But when the game was in doubt uh, in the first quarter, basically, and maybe early into the second quarter, Texas, the Texas defense did what they had to do and did it well. Yeah, I mean, I think overall it was probably our best game we saw from the defensive line. I mean, Ojemo had a heck of a game. You know, he's a guy, whether they're asking him to kind of read first and then go, or whether they're giving him a little more freedom to attack one gap, he was, you know, he was penetrating and disruptive and chasing things down. I really did like seeing the the flashes I've seen from Sorrel. I was asking in the middle of the game, is he already our best edge? Because there's, (laughs) unfortunately, there's been less competition than you'd like for that role. But uh, yeah, and big old T-Sweat. I thought had a pretty nice game. You know, he still gets a little too high on occasion. Yeah, the guy who's probably still the most disappointing is Coburn. You know, we didn't see much out of him again. Sarkeesian kind of threw out some praise for him in the presser, and I wasn't sure if that was just kind of trying to, you know, pat him on the back and get him out of a mental funk or something. Maybe Could he's been, be, yeah. Maybe he's been fighting through an injury nobody knows about, and he's slowly working his way back. I, I don't know, but, you know, it's... It hasn't been praiseworthy play so far, but uh, you know, hopefully a fire will will get lit. But yeah, they you know overall that's one strength of the team that I get you know charitably is is rounding into form rather than being where we thought it would be at this point. But I think there was enough good stuff to see to hope that we can keep getting closer to what we thought this thing was going to be sooner rather than later. Well, Will mentioned Alfred Collins. You know, I thought Collins probably played his best game of the season as, as well. And, uh, yeah, that that's key because that that is a kid. You want to talk about he's got the whole package if he can just put it together. That's Alfred Collins. And if he can start playing more like he did on Saturday, that is going to bring a massive extra dimension to that defensive line because he can be disrupted from multiple positions on the defensive line. The question with him has just been consistency. Um, but on Saturday, he was, uh, you mentioned Ojimbo and he was great, but Collins was right up there with him as far as causing disruption. So the defensive backs though, were, were kind of an issue in this game, specifically the safeties and Deshaun Jameson outside of Anthony cook and Josh Thompson, who had phenomenal games, honestly, both of them, there were a lot of mess ups. Uh, you know, Deshaun Jameson got beat. What was it? Twice. Yeah. And one one of them was sort of him giving up on a play that he thought was over. The second one was just him getting flat out beat. And then you have B.J. Foster taking a terrible angle on a deep shot, letting guys get behind him. Same thing with Brendan Schooler. 
You just can't do that. I mean, first, you're the safety. You're the safety valve. You're the guy who is the farthest back in the defense. You're not supposed to let guys get behind you. Taking angles like, I mean, the angles, two balls was one thing. And just the the lack of awareness was another. That was, you know, when I talked earlier this year, we talked about, hey, what are the biggest questions we have on this defense? One of mine was the safeties. This was their first big test in the passing game, and they did not pass. Well, well they did pass yeah. far too much. That's the <laughs> right. We should, you know, I because I, I made a specific point of going back and looking at when all these things happened. The breakdowns did not start to happen until about midway through the third quarter after Texas is up 35 points. No, Jalen, the, the, the Miles Price was the second quarter. Well, the, okay, but that first touchdown – that made it what that made it 35 to 14 at that point i mean it was 35 to 7 even when that one happened in the second quarter that one was a case that one i went back and watched that play over and over again that one was not bj foster's fault that one was schooler's fault schooler had a horrible game on saturday because schooler had a pretty nice tackle though i mean that yeah. was pretty cool schooler had on the play you're talking about the one the, the first deep shot touchdown that tech hit B.J. Foster was coming from so far over, he had almost no shot to get there unless the pass was underthrown. He had no shot to get there unless the pass was underthrown. Um, that was a play where Schooler was – that was Schooler's side of the field. I watched the play and watched the replay and rewound it a couple times just to make sure. I'm not sure what he was looking at on that play, but for some reason he kind of – he was like watching the tight end and the tight end didn't release – and he didn't drop back. So I'm not really sure what Brendan Schooler was watching on that play, but he should have been dropping back on that play, and he would have been right there to cover that deep that deep post that was run. B.J. Foster, like I said, by the time, I mean, he recognized it pretty quickly, but he there was no way he was going to get to it because the receiver had already crossed in front of him. So he really had no shot, even though he was the last man there. Um, and then Schooler was the primary reason that the other deep shot happened the first time Jamison got beat. That one was weird because Jamison did everything right up until the point the ball got there. Because he had he was with the receiver, forced the receiver out of bounds, and then as the receiver was fighting back in, he turned, and it's almost like he saw Schooler coming towards him, so he kind of held up, and then Schooler missed him and ran smack into Jamison's face. And that obviously sprung the guy for the 79-yard touchdown. That schooler getting over late, and then on the third one, Jamison just got flat beat. You know, I mean, that's going to happen from time to time. It's happened a couple times this year to Jamison, but he just got flat beat by a speed guy. You know, he didn't press him enough at the line, and the guy got around him, and he couldn't catch him. And, you know, again, all of these happened when Texas was up by a minimum of four touchdowns, but that doesn't excuse the effort. And they're going to have to clean some things up. And, you know, it. there are a couple of changes I could recommend. Um, if, if it's me that I would have looked at this week. But, man, I it, Brendan Schooler, <laughs> his job should, have, should be on the line this week. Well, I, I have just heard this, and I don't know if I've seen it confirmed. And I'm even trying to find where I saw it. And I'm, I'm still searching, but... I had heard that there's been a change in the death chart, and now 
Jaron Thompson is listed ahead of Schooler at one of the safety spots. So well, that's fine that by might me. Have been, and I, I honestly saw that, you know, the one play where people were yelling at Foster, I, I saw it the same way as you, because he was coming from so far over, and that was like the number two receiver on the other side of the field. And you don't usually ask a safety in the opposite side of the field to come and cap like a route from number two on that side. Like maybe a number three, but that would that would have been a hell of an ask for him to get over there. I don't think that was his role. I think he saw it happening and tried to get over. But yeah, I, I think that it was probably a too deep coverage. And for some reason, Schooler bit up on some kind of strange ghost. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, Pac, like Pac Man after eating a power pellet, and, uh, didn't. I'm, on that <laughs> play, I'm still out. not. I'm still not sure what Schooler was looking at and why he was kind of staying up within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage instead of dropping back. It just made no sense to me whatsoever. If Thompson is starting, I'm fine with it. The other, the way I was thinking about changing was, you know, they played Anthony Cook some at safety during fall camp. I would have no problem at all moving Anthony Cook back to safety and moving Dunn into the starting lineup as a corner because that kid has been flashing big time when he gets a chance. Side yeah. note before we, right before we get into TCU, what happened to Chris Adamora from last year? He was really good this year. I think it's the, the, this defense asks a lot from the safeties more so than the Chris Ash defense did. And this is just something he's not used to. Well, yet. I think Adamora right now is just, you know, he, he's not, in the starting lineup as much. And I mean, he's not in the starting lineup at all. He's one of the backups. And so he just hadn't been getting as much playing time. And, you know, he, he's basically backing up, backing up BJ Foster, mm-hmm. you know, let's get into TCU here because this is going to turn into a long show now, but we got Gary Patterson's boys, Texas is going up to TCU. This is always a good measuring stick game for the program because I mean, they're what? Two and seven against TCU since, since they, they joined, joined the, the Big 12. Twelve. That's correct. <sighs> yeah, it's been, TCU it's been is less of a measuring stick and more of a bludgeoning stick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know I, that was that was a bad that was a bad thing to say. Te- yeah. Texas Texas fixed its problems with the original Purple Wizard from the time they joined the Big Twelve, and they fixed that problem only to have another Purple Wizard come in and start just hexing the crap out of them. Yeah, what what is it, a fat sweaty wizard? Is there a specific like D and D class for that? Because <laughs> yeah, at least at least yeah, at least in K State you had a purple wizard that looked kind of old and wizened and wise, like yeah. fat and sweaty and frantic is an odd wizard like a dwarven vibe. wizard. Yeah, maybe. Something like yeah, that. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, that stumbled into stumbled into Will's crack stash. Yeah, Gary Patterson, the crack, the crack dealing dwarven wizard. Uh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so let's take a look at the TCU offense here under under Meacham. So Meacham left and then came back. Can y'all kind of give me a, a quick breakdown of, of what Doug Meacham? What's his deal? What what is the thing that he does? From what I've seen, especially this year offensively, TCU is about running the ball, and they do it well with either Duggan or their tailbacks. They throw checkdowns, and they take deep shots. You do not see them throwing intermediate routes unless it's third down and they're just trying to move the sticks. When it's first and second down, if they're ahead of the chains, they are running, and then they're lining up to throw to take deep shots, and if they're not there, they'll check it down. That's so... The things we saw on Saturday from the Texas secondary, they better clean them up pretty fucking quick. Otherwise, they're going to get beat bad on Saturday. 
Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's been a hallmark of Meacham's offense through his whole career. It may be, you know, his interpretation of what Duggan can and can't do in the air if you put too much on his plate. But yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely been effective doing that and effective with his legs, and that's probably, you know, the the big if we can <laughs> if we can hope that the guys who've shown a lot of good things in their careers in the Texas backfield can you know kind of right the ship there. Um, yeah, the, the biggest concern for me is, you know, getting a handle on Duggan and Zach Evans in the ground game when you've got some built in misdirection with a quarterback that can pull the ball and take off. And I'm sure they will be adding plenty of other kind of misdirection window dressing to their run game this week, just for us. And we've got a couple of linebackers who've been guilty of kind of drifting, letting their eyes get messy, not reading their keys. So that would probably be the thing that could that could screw Texas in this game is if, you know, the D line is not wrecking shop and the linebackers are drifting. You've got some guys that can, you know, not just, you know, get a first down, but can take it to the house on you if they get a, a clean run up the field. And I think that has been part of it. We were talking about with Duggan. Duggan is not a very accurate passer. Um, and that's why it, it seems like their passing game is basically short check downs or deep throws. You know, they lost to T- they lost to SMU on Saturday. They couldn't stop SMU's offense unless Tanner Mordecai was throwing a couple of god awful picks, which he did. But Ooh, I mean, one of those it, was bad. Yeah, one of those, <laughs> one of those was, was really bad. bad. One, of, but, one of them was really bad. <laughs> but other than that, they couldn't really stop SMU's offense. But TCU offensively was doing pretty much what they wanted to on Saturday. Now, SMU is not a good defense by any stretch of the imagination. But if Duggan was a more accurate passer, they would have won that game and probably would have scored two or three more touchdowns because he had some deep shots where he just he just overthrew guys that had gotten behind the defense. Max Duggan kind of reminds me of Sam Ellinger with a little less passing ability a lot less passing ability <laughs> yeah and he he he's he's not remotely as accurate as sam ellinger was no yeah i, I yeah i agree but sam ellinger definitely he kind of handcuffed your offense in certain ways but he extended the offense in others that's what max duggan does he can use his legs to really help out an offense uh, rather than his arm. I'd put that more on Tom Herman than Sam, but that's just my own personal opinion. True. Uh, but Max Duggan, we saw last year that, you know, what he, what he can do with his legs. And with a guy like Zach Evans out of the backfield, that's a dangerous pairing. He's Bijan Robinson dangerous, to give people an idea. Zach Evans is Bijan Robinson dangerous. He can beat he can beat you in a heartbeat on a running play, and he can take it to the house on a swing pass too. Yeah, I was looking at Pro Football Focus, and again, warning: Pro Football Focus isn't always the best. But when it comes to how they're rated in their production per snap, it's it's neck and neck. Like Bijan Robinson is just like you know he, he's like a half step this year. Beyond Zach Evans. And also you can look at the who they played this year. I know Texas has played Arkansas and Louisiana versus TCU has played Cal in SMU. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's a difference in competition there. Bad defenses, yeah. But still, Zach Evans has taken it to Cal and SMU. Uh, they, he's taken it to Duquesne, who was basically their rice, their rice game. 
he's done phenomenal. He has great balance. He was correctly labeled a five-star. And then on top of that, you have more offensive weapons for Max Duggan in Quentin Johnston, Tay Barber, Darius Davis. That's your that's your starting three wide receivers. And those, those are three of the best wide receivers in the Big 12. I mean, Tay Barber's, I have so many complaints about Tom Herman and his wide receiver recruiting. Tay Barber and Anaya Smith are two of them. Tay Barber is a guy who, once you decide, we don't want Jalen Waddle first, and then he goes and you're like, oh crap, now we want him. Well, who do we want? Who are we going to get now? Instead of just, you could you could have gotten Josh Moore and another guy. Tay Barber and Anaya Smith were just waiting for you right there. Instead, Anaya Smith goes to AM and kills it. Tay Barber goes to TCU and kills it. Mind-blowing. Uh, at least stupid. Darius Davis is another guy who is just, he's explosive as well. Then behind them, you have J.D. Spielman, who was a freshman All-American at Nebraska, then got, and then kind of fell off the face of the earth, transferred to TCU. Savion Williams, who's basically a mini Quentin Johnston. And then, do y'all remember Marcel Brooks? Five-star linebacker? There's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. Yeah. From LSU? Man, that, 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 that's... That locker has to be a mess, but you have a bevy, a bevy of talent surrounding Mac Doug in this game and in this TCU offense. Like, this TCU offense is good. Yeah, it is good. Now, they lost a potential key piece for Saturday. Patterson is very well known for not giving out any kind of injury information, so we won't know until Saturday. Uh, but their starting center, Avila, went out against SMU with a leg injury of some kind. And their offense in that game really started to kind of, I mean, you know, your center, is, as many people know, is the signal caller on the offensive line. And their offense really started to kind of bog down once he went out in that game on Saturday against SMU because they started out like a house on fire, just like SMU did. But after he got hurt, it really started to kind of bog down on him. So we'll see if he's available for them on Saturday. But you're right as far as the weapons go. Evans, in his last two games against Cal and SMU, has just over 300 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And he also has uh, a, a receiving touchdown when he had, I think it was like a 59-yard screen pass that it wasn't, wasn't really that much or something like that. He had three catches for 70 yards and a touchdown on Saturday. Tay Barber's a stud. Quentin Johnston, he, they did not, he didn't have a catch on Saturday, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. Uh, he just got missed a couple of times on deep shots. So the back end needs to be ready because that is exactly what TCU is going to do. They're going to try. They're going to run misdirection and try and get loose in the run game. Then they're going to play action off of it and try and hit you deep. Yeah, and, and to your point on the offensive line there, Steve Avila versus Coy McMillan, who is his backup, that is a huge, huge drop for TCU in terms of production right there. Right now, when you're looking at TCU's team and their offense. It, basically, their best player is Steve Avila, John Lands, and Obina Easy. I think his name is Easy. This will be the second, be even without Avila, I think this will be the second best offensive line Texas has faced behind Arkansas. Yes. With Avila, it would have been very close between the two of them. But without Avila, Arkansas is definitely better. So this is going to be a test for the Texas defensive front without question. Yeah, o- o- Obina Easy, the grad transfer from Memphis, is just killing it. John Lands is doing very, very well. He is beatable. He did get beat more often than I was expecting to see uh, against SMU. 
And Andrew Coker on the left on the right set right side that right tackle, he's he's good. He's not great. They can put together a good offensive line. This offense is good. So Jason, what are the keys for this Texas defense to take on this TCU offense? Yeah, um, things obviously get easier if Avila's not there. But I really think the you know what we need to see is the game that Ojomo played. And, you know, the, the flashes from Alfred Collins bring that. And we're going to need one guy on the edge to step up, you know, both in, you know, setting some better edges. We've tried to set edges with Schooler and done stupid things. Hopefully we're past, we're past that. But, you know, we, we need to we need to be stringing out some of these Zach Evans runs and not giving him the chance to pop. But we, we need to get some pressure on Mordecai from an honest pass rush. And... You know, that's the that's one of the pieces of the Texas defense that's been lacking. You know, maybe maybe Sorrell will be the guy to do it from the edge, but we're going we're gonna need that. Like it it could easily be a shootout if we're not able to bring, you know, more heat than we've brought in a lot of honest pass situations. And I'm a little nervous about us blitzing too much because they've got, you know, they've they've definitely got guys that can, you know, catch an outlet dump off and you know, do some damage in space. So that's that's the biggest thing for me is that, you know, that that one missing piece, and maybe it's Sorrel, but, you know, one other guy to step up and start giving us some more consistent rush and kind of more consistent ownership of the real estate on the outside. The other thing is obviously containing Duggan. He will very quickly take a running lane and take off on you if you let him get loose. Texas needs to be disciplined. Uh, the front six... You know, however they do that on Saturday, the varying fronts, 6-7, however they end up playing it, they need to be disciplined and they need to play assignment football. As Jason mentioned, we've seen, especially Overshone, we've seen a number of times where he's taken himself out of a play just because he's floating too too much, you know, and that makes Brockermeyer have to guess, and sometimes he's guessed wrong. You know, you do this against TCU, they'll score, and they'll score very quickly. TCU was struggling against Cal in the first half offensively for some inexplicable reason. And then TCU let Evans get loose on a 52-yard run on a draw play at the end of the first half. I mean, they gave up a 52-yard touchdown run at the end of a half, which is insane to me. That just tells you how bad Cal's defense is. But, you know, they let that guy get loose. He scored. It sparked their offense. And and, uh, TCU came back and won the game in the second half. Uh, and, you know, it was a close game, but they, they scored a lot. Their offense hasn't been the problem. Their offense is, it will find ways to score. I do expect a high-scoring game on Saturday. I do. Texas is, Texas is going to be, by far, the best defense that TCU has played this year. We should, we should say that. SMU is not good defensively. Cal is terrible defensively. Duquesne. 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 Um, yeah, it's Duquesne. But, yeah, it, this is going to be easily the best defense that TCU has seen this year. But as you said, they have a lot of weapons offensively. They have an experienced quarterback. They have a relatively experienced offensive line, but they just lost, they may have lost the, you know, the head of that offensive line. Defensively is the issue for TCU. Their defense has been god awful, and that makes no sense given that it is Gary Patterson's defense, and I mean he's the head honcho. I think part of it is they're missing players. You you mentioned it earlier, uh, at least on Saturday. You know they've been out one of, with, without one of their starting defensive ends, Kari Coleman, all season. 
Um, Corey Bethel didn't play. That One of their starting DTs didn't play on Saturday against SMU. They've had some injuries at the linebacker position as well and missing guys. But, I mean, I'm telling you, if you go back and watch some of that SMU game, especially in the second half, I mean, SMU, who Sonny Dykes is a very good offensive coach, but running the ball is not what he's known for. He's known mm-hmm. for spreading you out and throwing it. T- SMU was running the ball at will against TCU on Saturday, and it, there was nothing TCU could do to slow him down or stop it. And you're talking about them missing the defensive tackles. You're talking about them missing the defensive ends and the linebackers and the safeties. For the four-two-five defense that Gary Patterson runs, what, what you're going to be seeing in this defense coming Saturday is a few things. What Gary Patterson wants to do is he wants to create confusion in the line of scrimmage in the backfield. So what he does, how he does that is he splits field coverages, takes the front seven and the back secondary, basically two different play calls, and then splits the secondary in half. So that's one thing. And then that's how he can kind of confuse quarterbacks that way. Then lots and lots of extensive blitz packages used to not only confuse the offensive line, but just give the threat of a blitz. And sometimes that is just enough to create confusion amongst the offensive line and the quarterbacks and the running backs and the wide receivers. It all is a lot of window dressing to really just push the ball from the inside to the outside. And how they do that is basically force the ball through a lot of misdirection up front to go outside to their safeties. And they have... I think three or four safeties on their backfield that are basically just big guys who can play, you know, hybrid linebacker safety. So they kind of outmatch you there. They kind of bring you to where they have a size and speed advantage on the outside. Get some leverage in that way. Really de-emphasize the size weakness that they have in the middle by, by spreading it out amongst their team. Now, what, the problem is here is they don't have a good defensive tackle or they don't really have a good defensive line interior right now. If they can't stop the, the runs up the middle, those a a gap runs, the inside zones that Texas fans are probably now, you know, that's a bad word. Well, they weren't stopping outside zone on Saturday either. No, no, no. <laughs> and that's another, that's another thing is they weren't stopping that, anything. That's, they stopped that by using the defensive ends to basically kind of, kind of st- eat space to let the linebackers and the safeties work. But when you can have just one guy on the defensive tackle that, and that defensive tackle can't make a reach, you know, you're free. And that's, that's a lot of the reason that SMU had so much success is the defensive tackle just got flat out beat or the running back was just too fast for him. So they, they were just out athleted. And so that's kind of how you're beating them with the inside zone. You know, you're still running through the a gap, it, but you're just bringing the A-gap along the line of scrimmage on the outside zone. That's a one way to actually really avoid where TCU has a strength in this defense, which is the defensive ends. And, and sort of like the out, the outside weak side linebacker, which is White Harris. White Harris is good. Oshawan Mathis is probably the best player on that team. He's kind of their best and only weapon on that defensive line outside of Dylan Horton. Like those three guys... And if Corey Bethley is there, then that's an issue. But they just haven't been able to get 
healthy on that defensive line, and that's hurt. And the linebackers behind them, who they've usually been able to, you know, at least rely on in some capacity, just not there this year. D. Winters is not not it, not it at all. That front seven, front eight, really is just not what Gary Patterson had in the past, and that's really hurting them, especially with the lack of safeties they have. Yeah, what I'd, I'd really like to see in this game is that ability to attack those weaknesses. And, you know, you said that they, you know, they, they've kind of run in some, I don't know if they pioneered it, but they were one of the earliest, you know, teams to really, you know, make their living at that, uh, you know, four two five split field type of coverages. And when you've got quality experienced guys back there that communicate well, it can be, you know, really tough to dissect. When you've got guys that are weaker players, you find yourself potentially with a lot of opportunities. You know, one play that I'm really hoping we see that can kill that coverage is getting, you know, kind of running a, a two-level route from one side, having somebody run a deeper dig that kind of pulls that one safety up and running that big backside post and throwing it over his head if that guy can can get a step and and get inside because sometimes the one safety will pass him off and if they if they're not aware of what's happening that can be the weakness of that uh, you know that kind of split field and even kind of calling a different coverage on each side on the field if they're not communicating well you know routes that, that cross the field and enter different guys zones can really beat them up yeah and that's exactly what smu did to tcu last weekend they brought over routes which is basically just a really deep dig that just kind of goes to the corner, just like basically one really big slant, but deeper from one side of the field where they brought two posts to the other. So they kind of were trying to figure out, they brought a, they did a lot of motioning to figure out, okay, which side is the zone? Which side is man? What's, what are the different sides that they're splitting in? What are the different coverages they're split in? And then attack it in different ways through out routes. And like you said, bringing, one wide receiver to the other side of the field killed TCU like three different times. One thing you're going to see on Saturday is that, you know, Gary Patterson, if if nothing else out of necessity right now, he is going to change some things up this week uh, in how he attacks defensively. I think he is going to do more of what tech I thought tech would do in the fact that they are going to try blitzes from all different angles using their cornerbacks, using their safeties, using their linebackers. They'll drop defensive ends in in kind of a zone blitz scheme. And the thing about Gary is Gary's not going to stop doing it, okay? He's not going to give up on it. His defense right now has been awful, as bad as it's been since he's been there, and he's not going to allow that con- to continue if, if at all possible. So he is going to do everything he can to try and test the communication of this offensive line and see if he can get guys through gaps, get guys not communicating on who they're supposed to hand off to to not only shut down the run game but also to get pressure on Casey Thompson. This series, since TCU joined the Big 12, the reason TCU has dominated it is because they have had an advantage on the headsets for the last seven years for sure. You know, now last year that had some to do with Herman, some to do with players. But the bottom line is the coaching advantage has been on the TCU sideline for minimum the last seven years. What Texas fans have to hope is that we now have a coaching staff, especially on the offensive headsets, that can match wits with Gary Patterson. You talked about motion just a minute ago. 
Steve Sarkeesian is weaponizing motion and shifting to try and make the defense give away what they're doing. That needs to continue to try and counteract whatever Patterson is going to is going to show you because he is going to show the Texas offense things they haven't seen on tape. I can guarantee you that that fat man is going to bring shit that we that Texas hasn't seen because he does it every year. Jason is correct that this is kind of Gary for whatever reason he really does not like Texas and this is kind of his Super Bowl. TCU is 2 and 7 in the weeks prior to Texas. 7 and 2 against Texas and then they have a losing record in the week after Texas. So, it's very obvious how much emphasis Patterson puts on this game. That's not changing on Saturday because right now his team is defensively is in a bad way and you know, there's chatter that you know this the Patterson era could be coming to an end there, and I think he's going to do everything he can to try and shut that talk down immediately. Yeah, I, I shudder to think what that would do for uh, any perspirant sales in the Fort Worth if it uh, <laughs> if it does, <laughs> or, or, or maybe he's just not buying it. Maybe that's the issue. But but yeah, he he will he will throw the kitchen sink at us. But you know, I feel pretty good that we've got an offensive staff that can counter that and you know can can prove as we're hoping that that Arkansas game was just a bizarre outlier from a game plan and scheming standpoint and it's not a warning flare that wait a minute if you start throwing unexpected stuff at this offensive staff they can't adapt I mean I don't think that's Sarkeesian's track record so um, I'm giving us the benefit of the doubt there for right now. But yeah, if, if they're killing us with corner blitzes over and over, we're not adjusting, they're twisting, we don't have an answer for it, and that you know, it continues for four quarters, that'll be alarming. But for right now, I'm going to hold out some some pretty pretty good hope that you know we'll, we'll be able to counterpunch a lot, of, a lot of what he does. Won't be successful 100% of the time, but I think he is, at least right now, lacking the athletes or lacking the execution on defense to consistently beat us if we're bringing, you know, as good a game on the headsets as, you know, the the skill position talent that we've seen so far can bring on the field. Cool, cool. Well, y'all, I think that's going to do it for the show. Again, just a reminder, got a new Discord. It's completely free to join. You're gonna, you can hear us there. You can... You know, tell us your thoughts on the show there. What is the handle for that Discord? It is just the Hornscast Discord. So you'll find it on our Twitter. If you search Discord for Hornscast, the network that you're on right now, that you're listening to. I mean, the pod, if you're listening to the podcast, I don't know how you don't know what, the disc, what Hornscast is. But regardless... Some people accidentally click podcasts. They just, they just kind of randomly... <laughs> you're like, I'm having a hell of a day. I just need to listen to something. Oh... I feel Who that. Are these dicks? I feel that. that. That is me today. <laughs> but it's it's a great way to get to know more Longhorn fans. A great way to talk to more Longhorn fans. Talk about recruiting. We have a nice, uh, funny pictures, Longhorn pictures channel in there. Just you know, then you can also there's the Patreon channel in there where you guys can talk directly to us. You guys can tell us directly to our faces what you think of the show. And uh, ask us questions that you want to answer in the next show. If you had a question in this show and you're like, hey, I, I actually want to know more about that, join the Patreon channel and we'll, we'll answer that. And, Oz, and if you pay enough, there's a tier, you'll have your name in the show. And if you pay even more, you'll get a t-shirt. 
So it's just great. Just great stuff. So go ahead, join the Discord, join the Patreon, and thank y'all for listening to the 4th and 5 podcast. Uh, I'll let you start us off, Jason. Tell us where we can find you. All right. I am on Twitter at uh, knowthegame, uh, K-N-O-W, the game 60. Uh, I'm also, uh, as of now, on the uh, Hornscast uh, Discord. I'm figuring out all the controls, but uh, I, I should manage to at least type successfully. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, come come get on. Oh, get on me is bad. Um, get at me. Hit me up. I, what, whatever the kids say these days. Do that. Do that thing. <laughs> Jacob? Howdy, fellow kids. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter at Kips underscore big underscore boy. Uh, I will be joining the Discord here shortly, so I don't, I'm not on there yet, but I'll be there shortly. And uh, yeah, you can yell at me to your heart's content if you don't like what I'm saying. Yeah, and all the other hosts are already on there, so go ahead join you can yell at the pretend we're football podcast as well or the fire steve sarkeesian just keep on complaining about the name of the show uh well maybe not after this weekend we'll see we'll see uh, i was i was disappointed briefly that like nobody was reacting yet to this podcast on there then i realized we're recording it now and it hasn't been posted yet so <laughs> yeah <laughs> soon jason soon. I'm, new, I'm new at this but i'm i'm learning i'm learning Maybe maybe one day I think we could do a live recording of the podcast for the patrons. Yeah, that get, would be cool. Get the Horncast Twitch channel up and running, and we'll uh, do a live stream and frighten the hell out of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys can find me. I'm, These guys the are hub. more unsightly than I would have guessed. <laughs> a face for radio. A face for podcasts. <laughs> and, a, and a voice for print. Well, that's me. I'm your host. <laughs> Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R or the Hornscast uh, Discord channel or on Reddit at our Longhorn Nation subreddit. You guys can find our other podcasts right here on the Hornscast channel. It's the Hornscast channel you're listening to on any podcasting platform. Go ahead and rate and review. Five stars really helps the numbers. Thank y'all for listening. We'll see y'all next week. Hook'em. 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 <laughs>